Thank you for listening to the Your Mindful Coach podcast. This is Mark Balser. Today's podcast is a presentation of a recorded talk I did at the Ludington Library for the Mainline Newcomers Club on October 24th. It's called Mindfulness is for You, Tools for Self-Care and Stress Management. There's a companion video on YouTube that you can find by visiting my website, www.yourmindfulcoach.com. And if you'd like to learn more, send me an email. That's mark, M-A-R-C, at yourmindfulcoach.com. Thank you. Hi, good evening. Um, I wrote the description of that class, but I realize now that I've set some pretty lofty goals for myself. Um, so part of this practice is being gentle with yourself. And if not everything happens the way you want it to, that's gonna have to be okay. Um, so yeah, my name's Mark Balser, and this seminar is called Mindfulness is for You. Um, the reason it's called Mindfulness is for You is that over the past several years as I've been teaching, Many, many people have come up to me and said, you know, I really want my son to start doing this. Like he's really stressed out or, or my husband or, or mom or something like that. And the reality is that mindfulness starts with us. So if we want someone else to practice mindfulness, the best way to get them to do that is to practice it yourself. So that's kind of my invitation to you today. Um, I hope you didn't come expecting somebody to talk at you for an hour, because the most important thing is for us to practice this. So we'll have our eyes closed for some of the time. We'll practice mindfulness and meditation together. And I only ask for your curiosity and your intention to practice together. So don't believe a word I say. So we've got a disclaimer from mainline newcomers, but really, it's not about the evidence that I show you up on the board. It's about trying it out for yourself and seeing what comes up for you. Everybody has a different response to mindfulness and everybody has a different way of approaching it. So some people might sit with their eyes closed in a dark room. Other people might hit the river and row or play an instrument. Anything that we do where we have a singular focus uh, is really mindfulness because we spend so much of our day multitasking, do, doing seven things at once, texting while, well, maybe we're driving, or uh, listening to music while we're eating or cooking. And when we bring our focus down to one thing, it can have some really powerful effects. So just a little bit about my own experience. I am a type A personality. And for oh, 38 years of my life, I basically reacted to anything that happened as if the world was about to end if I didn't fix it. Does anybody have that personality? Okay, thank goodness there's one or two people or 20. Um, so uh, once I started practicing mindfulness, it's actually a way to train your brain to refocus on what's in front of you, what, what's with you right now. And so I found through this practice that I was much less reactive and I would give myself a little bit of space between the stimulus or the impulse in my environment and my response to it. So hopefully something that, like that might happen to you as well. Um, I have two businesses, yourmindfulcoach.com, um, which has a beginner's meditation class at the Tradifrin Library. There's two classes on the 27th and 4th uh, 27th of November, 4th of December, as well as possibly a retreat on the 7th. I'm almost to the number of people I'm looking for. And I'm also really excited about the Center for Self-Care, which I started with a partner. His name's Josh Gansky, which is primarily focused on building communities of men through mindful exploration and connection. So there's some flyers back there if you or someone you know might be interested. So why don't we start with the finish? Here's what I'm hoping you'll take away from tonight. A little bit of a definition. So I'm thinking about mindfulness as paying curious attention to what's happening right now. We spend all our day in analyzing, judging, comparing. And so when we sit and close our eyes and notice that we have all these thoughts, we often criticize ourselves. And I'm gonna invite you instead to approach it with some curiosity. Oh, I'm feeling tired right now. 
What does that mean? Well, maybe I'll try to get to bed earlier tonight. Or, um, oh, my mind won't stop with all these thoughts. Okay, well, you're human. Um, so paying curious attention to what's happening right now. And as we practice it, we literally rewire our brain. It's called neuroplasticity. Mindfulness is in the news all the time now, so you've probably heard a little bit about that. Um, and what I hope you walk away from this is a sense that you want to try it out for yourself a little bit every day. We'll have several different practices that you can take home with you. And of course, the internet and you know, everything around you can help you out with your mindfulness and meditation practice as well. So let's go on a journey. Um, when we go on a journey, something like this, we've got everything we need already, right? You know, our bags are packed, we're ready to try this out. Um, we, oops, I went too far. Uh, we're gonna see some new things. So, you know, seeing what happens as we do it. Um, I invite you and ask you to please turn off your phones. If you can't do that, put it on silent so that you don't have that as a distraction. So this is really for you, um, so that you can get deeper into the practice. Even having a phone in your pocket gives that brain a reminder that you might be interrupted. And so as we get on an airplane, we have the flight attendants that give us some directions. One of them used to be turn off your electronic device. And the other one is what to do in case of an emergency. And the line is, if cabin pressure should change, panels above your seat will open, revealing an oxygen mask. Secure your own mask first before helping others. So that's all of what I'm talking about with mindfulness is for you. Our heart works like that as well. The first thing our heart does is it feeds itself. Because if the heart isn't feeding itself, it will be weak and then it can't do the job of distributing blood throughout the body. So we're gonna work on ourselves. We'll start with practice. So I'm ready to go right now. Um, we're not gonna try to change our experience, but we're gonna try to be with our experience. And I love this metaphor, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. So we're gonna start with a three minute mindfulness practice. You might take a moment to kind of reposition yourself in the chair. Um, and I'll ask you to do this with your eyes closed, but I'll guide you through the whole thing. So just take 30, 40 seconds or so to get ready. So as you close your eyes and settle into a comfortable posture with your back upright but relaxed, I'll invite you to feel the sensation in your feet where they contact the floor, the feeling of your back and bottom against the chair, and using this time to arrive in the present moment. Our bodies are here, but our minds might be in the past, thinking about what we did today, or in the future, anticipating what might be to come. And we have these wonderful tools of mindfulness at our disposal, our senses, our body, and our breath. So we'll take one minute with each of these. So for a minute or so, Allow your ears to take in any sounds in your environment. Allow these sounds to flow into your experience and just as easily pass away. You might notice a thought or a feeling associated with the sound, and that's okay. But gently return your attention back 
to that practice of hearing sounds. And letting that practice go, and now bringing your attention to your body. Gently scan through your body, noticing any sensations of tingling or tightness, softness or pressure, and just notice them. allowing your attention to travel and move. And now bringing your attention to the area of your chest, your abdomen, and allow the sensation of each breath to enter your experience. Feeling the muscles expand and contract with each breath. There's no need to change your breath or make it a certain way. Just observe the gentle flow of air entering and exiting your body. And while you continue in this practice of observing your breath, I'd like to share a poem. It's called Allow by Dana Faults. There is no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt containing a tornado. Dam a stream and it will create a new channel. Resist and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow and grace will carry you to a higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in. The wild, the weak, fear, fantasies, failure, and success. When loss rips off the doors of the heart or sadness fails your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth in the choice to let go of your known way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. You might gently deepen your breath, lengthen your breath, and then listening for the sound of the bell to open your eyes. Would anybody like to share one or two things that came up for them? Please. My heart rate felt like it slowed down. Your heart rate slowed yeah. down. Wow, you are like three slides ahead. Thank you so much. <laughs> Please. I found it very hard to focus. Yes. Yeah, very hard to focus. Yeah. And so the practice actually for me isn't to focus, but it's to come back. So the good news is you got to have a lot of practice there, right? You got lost, you came back, you got lost, you came back over and over. Did anybody have no thoughts? Oh boy, we got to work with you. Um, so 
Uh, one of my teachers, Jack Cornfield, talks about how this is like training a puppy. Sit, sit, the puppy's sitting there, and then it runs off. So you get the puppy, you gently bring it back, sit, sit. Um, it wanders, and then over time that focus <laughs> arrives. So don't be too hard on yourself. Um, so here's what I've got planned for tonight. Uh, we'll end like at like 7.59 and 59 seconds. Um, and I'll stick around, so I'm happy to answer any questions that you have for me. So a little bit of an introduction of myself, um, then some defining of mindfulness, a little bit about how or why it works, and then we'll close with one more final practice. Um, we've got that short one we did, then a longer one in the middle, and then a final short practice. So just a sense of my experience, what brought me to mindfulness um, was I had uh, a career and a life that was pretty charmed. Um, for the most part, if I set my mind to something and just worked harder and harder and harder and harder, eventually I could pretty much get an approximation of what I wanted. Um, and seven years ago, I lost my dad. And I literally tried to bring him back, you know, six months later, a month later, and that didn't work at all. Um, so I finally found something that I couldn't fix. And what ended up happening was I stopped sleeping. And then other stuff went down, and you know, work wasn't going great, and my wife had to have gallbladder surgeries in the hospital for five days. Uh, kids were doing poorly in school. You can probably relate that we've got a lot going on, right? And I'm not sleeping. I'm falling asleep at 11.30 at night. And then at one in the morning, I was up, and I was up for the night. And what did I do? Well, I'm lying there, and you can imagine. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm awake. And uh, tomorrow, I'm going to be tired. And if I'm tired, I'm going to make bad decisions. And if I make bad decisions, the company's going to lose money, which means our clients are going to fire us. You know where I'm heading with this, right? Clients are going to fire us. I'll lose my job. Everybody will hate me, my wife will leave me, my kids will leave me, I'll, I'm living in a cardboard box on the street. That's where my mind was going because I had an awful lot of time to think about this. And with the practice of mindfulness, I just got to what was happening right now. So instead of having that rumination of this and then this and then this and then this, I started lying in bed and still not sleeping, but lying in bed and saying to myself, what's happening? Well, I'm awake. What else is happening? I'm awake. I'm awake, I'm awake. I got to what was actually happening as opposed to worrying about what might happen. You have a question there? Or? How were you introduced to Ah, so, oh, thank you, you set me up. Uh, I'm not sleeping, so I went to the doctor. Why did I go to the doctor? Any guesses? Sleeping pills. Sleeping pills, yes. So I ask her, um, you know, I, oh, I basically I tell her and I wait for her to, say, well, why don't I give you some sleeping pills? And she said, have you, have you ever tried medication? And I'm like, that's why I'm here. Isn't this great? Give me drugs. And she said, no, 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 no. Have you ever tried meditation? <laughs> and so she gave me the pills, I admit. Um, but I started practicing meditation at Mainline Unitarian Church, where Moshe and I met. Um, they have two Sunday groups that are totally secular, but an opportunity to practice together. I certainly did it the hard way because I also used a book from a teacher that we're going to see in a minute named John Kabat-Zinn, and I did this program called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, which is fantastic but also very expensive. I did it by myself at home. It was torture. So I'm encouraging you to look for the easy way to do this. Look for the way to do this a couple of minutes a day, and as you see some benefits from it, then move into a more serious practice. So here's the first rule of mindfulness. No PowerPoint presentations. Um, that's not really the first rule of mindfulness. Thank goodness I had a career in business and I was all about the PowerPoint presentation. It makes me feel comfortable. It makes me feel uh, empowered to share with you today. So what the real first rule of mindfulness is to be flexible. If it's not working for you, you're following your breath and it's shallow or it's rough or jagged, Maybe today's not the day to follow your breath. Maybe today's the day to use that anchor of sounds, or maybe you want to repeat a mantra, peace, 
piece. Um, so there's a lot of different tools at your, at your disposal. Um, so life, it's a recipe for stress. And I apologize if you can't really see the screens here, but here we have two fish. It's not my fault that you didn't put more stones aside for retirement. Anybody got that complaint? Um, so our life is full of changes, uncertainty, bus busyness, money issues, pain as our bodies change, baggage from our past, and responsibilities. So all those things generate thoughts, and if we wanna get rid of our thoughts or clear our mind, it's never gonna work. All these things are always floating around. Um, it's our challenge. If you can sit quietly after difficult news, if in financial downturns you remain perfectly calm, how many people so far? Zero, okay, I thought. If you can see your neighbors travel to fantastic places without a twinge of jealousy, if you can happily eat whatever is put on your plate, if you can fall asleep after a day of running around without a drink or a pill, if you can always find contentment just where you are, you're probably a dog. <laughs> so we're not gonna get to dog-like function today, um, but there are some solutions. So here's John Kabat-Zinn. He's kind of the father of American secular mindfulness. Um, in 1979, he opened a center in Massachusetts after an experience with some chronic pain patients. So he's a doctor working in a hospital, and all these patients that weren't getting any better, um, and the medical system didn't know what to do with them. And he said, you know what, send them to me. So none of these people were walking, they were in wheelchairs, maybe they had a, a cane or something like that, but they weren't moving very well. Um, and he brought them in for an eight week class where he shared tools of mindfulness, uh, movement, yoga, um, and uh, got some really neat results. Over that eight week period, sometimes the pain didn't go away, but the relationship to the pain, the narrative about that pain came down. And so people would come back to him reporting that, you know, like my back pain still hurts, but um, my daughter and I are getting along together much better. We're not arguing. Or maybe their blood pressure went down. Or maybe they were able to read a book for the first time in forever because they were able to focus for that amount of time. What was most exciting to me with John Kabat-Zinn's practice there is they needed somebody to bring the patients to them. And so there's nurses assistants and workers in the hospital that are wheeling them in. And this was 1979, so they didn't have a cell phone to look at. So they kind of did the stuff that John Kabat-Zinn was asking them to do. Um, and they were reporting incredible reductions in their stress and anxiety levels on the order of like 15 to 20% um, down. Um, depression, down. Satisfaction with life and happiness, up. I, you know. Like I said, don't believe a word I say, but all of these studies show kind of a 10 to 20% in increase in happiness that's sustainable over time. And so here's how John Kabat-Zinn defined mindfulness. Mindfulness is paying attention on purpose, in the present moment, and non-judgmentally to the unfolding of experience moment to moment. Pretty simple, but not so easy. By the way, I'm happy to share these slides with you um, afterwards so you don't have to worry about them too much. Uh, I like to simplify it down to paying curious attention to what's happening right now. Uh, my day job is teaching health and wellness at Shipley School and they certainly like this definition better than the big one. Um, curiosity, much better word than non-judgmentally because to say the word non-judgmentally automatically turns on our judging machine. So here's what mindfulness is not. Anybody seen this in the grocery store recently? Raise your hand if you've seen this issue of Time Magazine. Oh my gosh, you have. So you're the grocery shopper in the family, clearly. So this was printed, they, this was published like four or five years ago, and they just keep on putting a new date on the cover of the magazine as if this is a new issue about the mindful revolution. But I got a problem with this picture. Does anybody else have a problem with this picture? What are we looking at here? What's she thinking about? I don't think she's thinking about anything. She's got her hair done, makeup's perfect, all blissed out. And that just isn't what mindfulness is about. Maybe that's what relaxation is about, and relaxation can be a wonderful side effect of this practice. This is a little bit more what mindfulness looks like. We still have the, all these thoughts in our head, but maybe they're coming at us one at a time. We have 50,000 thoughts a day. That's one every one to two seconds. So, 
we need a system of how to respond to those thoughts more than we need a system to eliminate them because we're never gonna eliminate them. So mindfulness isn't clearing your mind or eliminating negative thoughts. It's not about making things a certain way. It's not about happiness. Again, can be a side effect of this practice. Um, not easy, but it is simple. I mean, I'm asking you to pay attention to your breathing. How hard could that be? But of course, most of us had a thought about one half breath into the practice. And that's okay, we're just gonna return. And it's not necessarily meditation, but it can be. Meditation's a great way to practice. Um, you can bring yourself into a room that's quiet, um, that there's some stillness, and practice this. But the real reason we're doing it is so that we're better in the world. So if somebody comes and goes, or there's a loud bang in the hallway, no big deal. Not our job right now. We're gonna bring our attention back to our breath or our body or our senses. So there's mindfulness and there's mindfulness practice, much like there's happiness. Um, we say people are happy. We say people are mindful. And we're describing kind of a trait when it's not really a trait. Mindfulness is more of a state. Um, we create the conditions to access this mindfulness, but I mean, you should have seen me 45 minutes before this presentation. I was running around, I dropped my bell across Lancaster Avenue, it was bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. I was freaking out. Um, but now I'm present 50% of the time instead of 30% of the time, and the people around me really appreciate that. Um, and so that's about finding our way to now. We might have a different set point, kind of a genetic set point, um, but we can all become more mindful in our practice. So mindfulness practice is what we're doing tonight, and we're literally changing our brain. We're rewiring the connections in our brain that bring us more attention. Um, and the awesome thing is it uses the material of our life. So there are some practices where you stare at a candle or you need certain uh, props to do the practice. Um, with mindfulness, you got all the tools you need right now. Remember that bag we packed as we got on the airplane? If you're breathing, you can practice mindfulness. You can be in a meeting. I often practice mindfulness when I'm talking to somebody that I don't really get along with and I'm paying attention to my breath so that I don't feel like yelling at them. What's well, the alternative? Um, hmm. I wanna get back into practice, but I'll, I'll rush through this. Um, that this is our biology. We're supposed to have all these thoughts. We're supposed to be reactive. Because 20,000 years ago, we're walking along the plane and all of a sudden we see this. We need to run like hell. We have to make sure that we have some kind of system that sees an impulse and reacts right away so that we're not lunch. We call it fight, flight, or freeze. Um, and it's really a nice adaptation when we have physical threats. But most of our threats aren't physical anymore. They're emotional and psychological, but we've got the same system to respond to threats as if they're life-threatening. With mindfulness, and there's somebody going off to college, I don't know if you've had that experience, but that can kind of turn on our fight or flight system. We're creating a space between that stimulus and that response. So we're almost reprogramming ourselves to not be as reactive in the situations that don't need them. Um, I have a little trouble with my son when I want him to do the dishes. And I find if I don't snap at him to do the dishes and just wait for him to do it, he does it much more quickly. If I'm on his case, he finds any opportunity he can to avoid doing the dishes. So this space has worked for me. So here's our physical response that we have to these stimuluses, these fire flights. I'm about to speak to you. My armpits sweat, my heartbeat moves faster, my breathing gets heavy, I feel a tingling in my stomach, my hands get fuzzy too. That's our fight or flight response. You, you know what that's about? What's happening? Why, like, why is this happening to us? Well, the blood in our brain, the blood in our stomach that supports digestion, 50% of our blood is between here and here, evacuates that area and heads to our legs and our butt so we can run and we can jump. Well, if we're about to give a speech, we don't really need to run and jump so much. So that's not a great adaptive response. And it's supposed to be a short-term and acute stress that drives this. So when we're getting chased by that tiger, it doesn't matter if we digest well, it doesn't matter if we get a cold, because if we're eaten, 
that's worse. So our immune system turns off when we're in that fight or flight response. And so you can imagine where I'm going with this, that we spend so much of our time in this kind of state of chronic stress that our stomach's turned off, our immune system's turns off, so we're more likely to have digestion issues and colds and so on. And so with this practice, we're gonna try to bring ourselves back into a rest and digest state and out of a flight or fight place. And so we've got all these things, our heart is beating faster, our sweating increases. There's really only one thing here that we can control. Any guesses? What? Breath. The only thing we can control is our breath. So it serves as a wonderful anchor to bring us back to that state of rest where we're connected. Our mind and body are working together. Um, and we've got all the capabilities of our prefrontal cortex, our thinking brain, our moral brain. So, why don't we jump back into practice? I'm gonna offer a body scan for you now, and you've probably done something like this before. There's an element of focus to this, um, and it can also be helpful for falling asleep, but that's more on the relaxation side than the focus side. What I'm gonna ask you to do is, as I bring a body part up in my guided practice, try to feel into that part of your body. Notice what comes up for you. So it might not be a bodily sensation. It might be, oh, that ankle has caused me problems forever. And that's okay. Just observe that. And as you're feeling into your body, you'll probably get distracted. Hopefully you'll get distracted. That's your fight or flight system sensing threats. And your only job here is to return your attention back to the part of your body that we're working on. Does that sound cool? We'll practice for 12 minutes or something like that, and I'll guide you through the whole thing. So as you're ready, you can assume a comfortable posture. Think of a posture of dignity that's a balance between stability and flexibility, a balance between softness and firmness, and a balance that supports focus, but also relaxation. And you can let your eyes gently close or cast your gaze downward if you'd like. And take care of yourself through this practice. If we're at a point that's causing anxiety for you, you might allow that to be there. Or you might open your eyes, ignore my instructions, or even let yourself out of the room for a couple of minutes. Make sure you're taking care of yourself. So as you come to a measure of stillness and silence, bring your attention to your right foot. Notice any sensations in your right foot. And include any sensations in your big toe and scanning along the toes to the pinky toe. Let your awareness include the bottom of your foot, the top of your foot, and your right ankle. Bring your attention to your right calf and shin, perhaps sensing the space inside your right lower leg. And just allowing for whatever comes up. And just bringing your attention back as needed to your lower leg your right knee. And now your right thigh and upper leg. It's okay to notice any judgments or thoughts. Allow it to be part of your experience and then bring yourself back to your body.
Moving now to the right hip. Really feeling into this space. Sensing any warmth or tingling or tightness. And traveling now to your left hip and down your left leg. Including your left thigh and left knee in your awareness. Not trying to change anything or make it a certain way. Just giving yourself this time of awareness. Moving now to your left calf and shin and perhaps sensing the space and volume inside your lower leg. Moving to your ankle and your left foot. Including the top of your foot, the heel and arch and ball of your foot. And each of your toes. Gently moving up your body now through your torso to your lower back. This is an area that we hold much of our tension and stress. So if you like, you might see if you can loosen or soften the lower back, the mid back, the upper back and shoulders. Allow the shoulders to drop and relax. And then let your awareness float down each shoulder to include both upper arms and elbows. Your lower arms and forearms. Bring awareness to your palms, the back of your hands, And perhaps sensing the feeling in your fingers, sensing what it feels like for your hands, your fingers to contact each other or your clothing or the table. Notice how that feels. And bringing your awareness now out through your fingers and up to the area of your belly, your internal organs. Feel the space inside your body, sensing your kidneys and intestines, liver and spleen all working without any real effort on your part. And continuing up now through your chest and into the area of your rib cage. Feeling your lungs expand and contract with each breath.
And should you find yourself lost in thought or distracted, just guide your attention back to the sensation of breathing. And traveling upward in your body to include the area of your neck and throat. And jaw. Loosening your jaw and allowing it to drop gently. Perhaps softening the muscles of your cheeks your lips, allowing your tongue to rest gently in the back of your mouth. Feeling into your nose and ears. and eyes. Perhaps sensing any light or shape as your eyes sit underneath your eyelids. Relaxing your brow, your forehead, And then moving your attention to the crown of your head. Expanding your awareness to include the whole of your body. Perhaps offering some care and attention to any area that might need your attention now. And releasing this practice of an awareness to take just a few moments to notice what might have shifted or changed in your experience, what might have intensified or gone away. And give yourself some appreciation for taking this time of self-care, of attention, and know that it will come with you as you continue with your day and week. And may the benefits of this practice extend beyond ourselves to those close to us. And to all beings. Any Princess Bride fans here? Uh, Diego Montoya, uh, let me explain. There's too much, let me sum up. I don't even know how to sum up. Um, But you're amazing students. If any of you had this thought while you were practicing that I'm doing this wrong, you're actually doing it right. If you thought it was the best thing you'd ever done in your life and it was perfect and there was nothing wrong with it, probably have to practice a little bit more. One of my teachers uh, says that, um, well, sorry about this. He says, um, if you haven't wept deeply, you really haven't started the practice yet. I hope you don't cry that much, but you can see how this could be a very emotional experience. 
Um, so a really good reason to practice together in community. Um, so a little bit more on mindfulness, practice, and stress. I shared mm -hmm. with you that concept of neuroplasticity that we're literally rewiring our brain. Um, one of the things that we do, and I'll send the video to you, but um, we make new connections with different parts of our brain. Um, so Dr. Dan Siegel has this great thing called the hand model of the brain, where in very quick terms, this is our, you know, you can imagine the hand. This is our brainstem, all the automatic functions. Our thumb is our emotional system, our amygdala, that kind of fight or flight emergency warning system. And then our cortex, our thinking brain, folds over that. And so if you're a teen, you've got a perfectly well-developed emotional system, but not so much for the prefrontal cortex. So when your emotional system starts triggering and shaking, your prefrontal cortex gets disconnected from the rest of your brain. So you lose that brain function that gives you ration and morality um, and all the important things that we want from our brain. Um, and so mindfulness practice, when they put people in MRI machines, they can see literally gray matter growing in the brain. Um, and you know the science isn't settled, but they do think they've seen that the amygdala shrinks, our kind of fear sensor shrinks, um, which you know it's important because our amygdala keeps us from running in traffic. But in most of the situations in our lives, having a smaller amygdala can help out. They see less physical inflammation in the brain, um, and we know inflammation is associated with so many adverse health out outcomes. Um, and it helps us reconnect with that thinking brain when we freaked out, when we flipped our lids. So just a couple thoughts in closing. Um, benefits of mindfulness. I mean, you can come to it with a plan of one thing and get something else out of it. Um, but reactivity, like I shared, and sleep. Um, and it also can support self-awareness and empathy. As we're observing our body, it tells us information. Like I said, you know, if you felt sleepy, there's a message from your body saying, can I sleep? It might also be a message of, I got too many things to do right now and maybe I'll see if I can reduce some of my commitments. Um, and it's contagious. Uh, this is from one of my teachers, Thich Nhat Hanh, peace in oneself peace in the world. And so there's some really compelling evidence in the field of education. Um, teachers that are trained in mindfulness and do not bring it in the classroom at all have some pretty nice increases in student achievement and behavior. It actually is a bigger impact than if you're not trained in mindfulness, but try to teach it in your classroom. You know, because there's all these guides now that you can teach it from a book. If you have your own mindfulness practice, it's more of an impact on those students. Um, there's a neat study that they did in Germany with psychotherapists where they trained them in mindfulness techniques. They didn't in any way bring that into their therapy practice. Um, and it was like 400 therapists, half control, half not. And um, depression and uh, anxiety went down 30% uh, among the patients of the group that had been practicing mindfulness. Um, but like I said, don't believe a word I say. Try it out for yourself and see if you get that same effect as well. So a couple quick tips for building a mindfulness practice before we say goodbye. Um, practice, practice, practice. Don't practice for a really long time. Practice for five minutes. Or if you're really feeling crazy, 10 minutes or 15 minutes. It's about that consistency of practice that really gives you the impact. So you might wanna do it on some kind of routine, the same time every day. I like to practice about six o'clock because that's when no one in my house is making noise. Um, you might be the type of person where you have your energy later in the day and maybe you want to practice at night. Um, keep it short. Um, try out local classes. So I offer some programs. Um, my friend Gloria there, the perfect, Imperfect Journey, she's in media, she's fantastic. Um, and there can also be free resources. Like I said, Mainline Unitarian Church on Sunday mornings has some really neat groups. Um, read a little, but practice more. Uh, you know, reading about mindfulness and meditation is like scratching an itchy foot through your shoe. The real way to do it is take off the shoe and itch it, AKA practicing. Um, and experiment. So um, there's all different kinds of tools. Those are my two organizations. Um, Gloria Shepard does it as well. So I do have one small parting gift for you because how do we remember to do this? Well, our phones are awesome. There's great apps. Simple Habit is amazing. 
Calm is amazing. So your phone will tell you it's time to meditate. But you can also just do simple one second practices. Every time you get into your car, close your eyes, stop for a moment, take a breath, B, just hang out there, and then shift the car into drive or something like that. Or you can put this on your phone, and every time the phone rings, take a breath, because you've got plenty of time for that ring to come. Some people like to do it um, a coffee meditation. So in the time it makes, takes to brew your coffee, you just sit quietly. There's really a million different ways you can approach it. Um, so that's pretty much it. Hopefully you know that definition, paying curious attention. It can be practiced and generates benefits. And there's all different kinds of practices that you can do. Uh, I'm gonna close with one. And then I, I apologize for not taking questions as we went, but I'm gonna stick around here. I'm happy to answer any questions for you. Um, and this closing practice is called a self-compassion break because I'm the kind of person that as I get more compassionate with others, I start beating myself up because I've got this habit of criticizing in some way or another. So if I'm not criticizing you, I'm criticizing myself. And this practice is, it's failing practice. Over and over, we're getting distracted, we're coming back. So we need a little bit of self-compassion. I have some cards with these uh, phrases on here for you. But just take this last minute or so to close your eyes. And you might think of an event or circumstance that happened recently, probably not, not the most troublesome event, but just a situation where you found yourself criticizing yourself, thinking that perhaps no one has ever made this mistake, can't get anything right. And in these kinds of situations, I'd ask you to share four simple aspirations, four simple statements with yourself. So you might imagine yourself in this situation as it's happening, and you might imagine yourself giving the following advice. This is a moment of suffering. This is a moment of suffering. Suffering is part of the human condition. It's not just you. Suffering is part of the human condition. May I be kind to myself in this moment? May I give myself the compassion I need? And you can open your eyes. I find a practice like this can be really helpful, not necessarily in stopping this self-criticism, self-judgment, but in giving my mind a job so that it stops criticizing myself or slows down. So I think that's all I have for you tonight. I appreciate your kind attention. That was a lot all in 45 minutes, 55 minutes. Um, I, everybody who uh, signed in at the front there, I'll send you an email with some resources tonight. Um, there's a box to check if you wanna be on our email list, but unless you check that box or email me back, I'm not gonna put you on my email list. So you'll get one email unless you want to be on the email list. Sound good? Thank you so much and stick around if you have any questions. <laughs>